It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. We waste no time here on the show. We bring in my good friend Tyler Dunn. He is the author of a brand new book called The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. I'm about 230 pages into this book, and I'm telling you, it's must-read stuff. Make sure you go get it online where books are sold in your nearby bookstores like Barnes & Noble as well. And don't forget to go to golongtd.com. Tyler is the editor and founder uh, and the national features writer uh, covering the National Football League. Go subscribe to this unbelievable website, long-form journalism, doing a great job. There's literally nobody covering the NFL like Tyler Dunn, and we bring him on right now to talk about the blood and guts. TD, thank you, buddy. How are you? Congrats. It is a honor and a pleasure to be here with you, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. It's just been awesome to uh, talk to you throughout this whole process, too. I feel like we've been uh, connected here for a while. No doubt about it. The timeline of the tight end, it goes back to, you know, the old guys, Mike Ditka, John Mackey. Um, It's evolved over time into the modern tight end now, not necessarily in every down you know, position, uh, they're, they're kind of moved around, they're in the slot, they're moving around all over the place, a lot less blocking. Uh, in fact, I just got done reading your, your piece with, with Heath Miller, uh, you know, just trying to play that every down back. When you look at the tight end position, you can say he was the most impactful, he was the most um, durable, he was the most this, he was the most that, he, this one was the most talented. But when you rope in all of the things together, who's the best tight end in the history of the NFL? Rob? Gronkowski. I really think it all comes back to Gronk, right? Like he is, he he embodies anything and everything you'd want at the tight end position. I mean, if you want somebody who is going to get down and dirty and knock people off the ball, look no further than the kid from Buffalo, New York, you know, beating the hell out of his brothers and getting the hell beat out of him by his brothers and, and mini sticks hockey and, you know, maybe maybe taking a shot from Chris that knocked him out in the bathtub unconscious for a while. They thought he might be dead. Like this is somebody who has been a glutton for punishment his entire life. And was like, he was born to be a tight end who uh, inflicts and absorbs more punishment uh, than any of his peers, but he's also fun as hell. And he can make that play down the field that a wide receiver can make. And when his body and his game is released at, at you know, down in the secondary, nobody can really handle him. But it is that fun. It's that authenticity. I think it's that that personality that I think really does save the sport as much as anything. Because you know, think about it. I mean, this dude in in, in twenty ten he goes to Bill Belichick, goes to the Patriots, this do your job robotic operation where you know we we just all assume these guys don't even you know have brains or hearts. They're just kind of cogs in a machine. <laughs> And he is himself. You know, he's partying after a Super Bowl loss. He's posing for photos with porn stars. He is joking about taking Tim Tebow's virginity. I mean, he he refused to change in a world that it seems to kind of force you to change and force you to be a certain way. I think that was as good for the game as much as anything we could talk about X's and O's wise. So whatever lens you're looking through when it comes to the sport and whatever you're looking for, when you sit down to, you know, spend 10 hours in front of a TV, Rob Gronkowski supplied it. I really do think he's the best ever, let alone the numbers, right? I mean, the, the, the sheer domination of the game kind of speaks for itself, too. 
when when I'm reading this book, there's just so much that jumps out and, and it's just so good. It's so beautifully written and um, I'm almost done with it. And I just, I, I just have enjoyed it so much as much as any book I've really ever, ever read. And I, I mean that sincerely. Um, I appreciate that, man. Thanks yeah, so much. Of course. There's three names though that kind of jump out for, for different reasons. And I'm sure that you will uh, elaborate on that. I, I, I want to just give you the name uh, one at a time and just give you the floor on that individual, that player, that, you know, the impact, a, a, any anywhere you want to go. And, and the first guy is Mike Dicka, right? I mean, you flew down to see him in Florida, I, I believe Naples at his golf course. And, and, and here's the prototypical early tight end who kind of set the path. So I give you the name Mike Dicka. The tight end didn't even exist pre-Mike Dicka. You know, the, the, the term itself wasn't used. It just wasn't. You had split ends. You had ends. And, you know, Raymond Barry and Don Hudson and, you know, that receiver out there, why, kind of did his thing. And the end was in line blocking. Um, you know, he, he did catch a pass here and there, but didn't really do a heck of a lot. There was nothing like Mike Dicka, not, no legit um, threat that you would prioritize at the end uh, position. So as Ernie Acorsi said, you know, the longtime Baltimore Colts exec, so he was around John Mackey a bunch. He's kind of lumped in there with Mike Dicka. But, you know, the, the fact that there was a player from that spot who could catch a pass and then just bludgeon you and run you over – and, you know, get a thousand yards as rookie seed. It was never seen before. So you had to call it something else. You had to call it a tight end. And I think that that's where the position really was put on the map as something that should be prioritized and, and game planned for. And, you know, you, you, you could just all of a sudden unleash a totally different type of weapon um, at this burgeoning position. I, I think that Mike Dicka, too. You know, beyond the schematics of it all, and, and hey, that deserves its own conversation. The fact that Luke Johnson's his offensive coordinator, thought this up and George Hallis allowed it. But it was the manner in which Mike Dicka played. He, he, he look, kind of looked at the field as a his own habitat, right, where he's the top of the food chain, and you're going to realize that right away. If anybody said one bad word about him, about a teammate, cheap shot at him, cheap shot at a teammate, I mean, he took that mental note, stored it away, and made you pay. And I think that he understood what football was to its core. I mean, this is a game played by humans with emotions, with you know, a sense of vengeance. And that, that's a beautiful thing. Um, so, yeah, Mike Dick, there, there's a reason that we're sitting here talking about him in 2022 when he lit the league on fire in the early 60s. It's, it's the attitude. It's the personality. It's everything beyond the X's and O's, which, you know, it all could have went up in smoke, as you know. I mean, you read the book, Mike. I think what, what might take people by surprise when it comes to Dicka, you know, he gets to Philly, you know, Talis is kind of fed up with him flirting with the AFL, and they're clashing, so they trade him to Philly, and his life almost completely falls apart. I mean, he's just, he's depressed. Uh, he hates it there. They won two games. He's clashing with the head coach. He's, par he's out partying, drinking way too much, waking up in a haze, doesn't really know what the hell happened, how he got there, how he got home. Um, he, he really could have ended up in a ditch. I mean, it, it could have all ended right there for Mike Dicka. And Tom Landry places a phone call, gives him a shot with the Dallas Cowboys. He completely turns his career, his life, all around because of Landry and the Cowboys. And I, who knows, really, what comes of Mike Dicka, what comes of the tight end position, what comes of football 
if he doesn't get that call from Landry because Dicka became to, I mean, he, he embodied the sport itself, right? Like you, you hear the name and you think of everything we love about pro football. So I, I think that Tom Landry 100% deserves as much credit as anybody when it comes to the preservation of the sport. John Mackey, you mentioned that was my second one. And I always have to remind people in central New York, Hey, John Mackey went to Syracuse. John Mackey was underrated. I know you know Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, Floyd Little, Donovan McNabb, Dwight Freeney, Marvin Harrison, and everybody in between at Syracuse. The history is there. The recent history isn't, we know, but the history is there. You know, and John Mackey was a huge part of that. Al Davis, I mean, I could go on and on. John Mackey was underrated. John Mackey was an amazing tight end who did more than people think. And I think he gets lost in the history of the NFL. So I give you the name John Mackey. I, I totally agree. And Don Shula, I guess, would be the coach with the vision uh, for John Mackey at the tight end position. Because you're at right, a Syracuse, he's, he's kind of out of position. He's playing a little fullback, little tight end, doing a little bit of everything. He, with all the other players, all the other talent they had there, it's not like they were going to feature John Mackey. But there was something to his game that Don Shula realized. Where, all right, if we, we put this player at tight end, throw him a little pass, he'll just do the rest. <laughs> and it's it, it's just hilarious to pull up old clips of John Mackey and see what he did to the opposition. I mean, he was so far ahead of his time in terms of just leaving just a pile of rubble in his wake where n- nobody could match his size, his strength, his power. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think that he more than anybody, maybe of that era, Dicka included, kind of he kind of took the tight end position you know, stuffed it into a cannon and sent it to like this, this, this superhero kind of realm. Because remember, that was right when NFL films was becoming a thing. And you, you, you pair John Facenda's voice with the, the jingles, you know, in the background. And John Mackey just kind of romanticized the game. Like he, he, he took this game that we all, we all, I was born in 1987, that everybody was just watching when they could on TV, maybe listening to it on the radio maybe catching highlights here and there, but it was in the sixties that the NFL really forced its way into the mainstream and started, you know, replacing an afternoon of watching baseball with watching pro football. It was that, that was really the pivot point for our country's love of football and everything kind of shifting to this sport over baseball. And I think a reason that happens is you can cling to characters and you can root for individual players and they they seem larger than life and they're just doing things that we can't conceive like we that we just can't even relate to i mean you can pick up a basketball and you know go out back and shoot some threes you can pick up a baseball bat go out with your buddies to the diamond and, and have a game you can't do the things that john mackey was doing nobody can and i think that there's there's something really cool about that that america just fell in love with so I am 100% with you, Mike. And I, I was as ignorant as they come when it comes to 1960s and pro football. It's funny. I, I used to do those top 10 shows at NFL Network, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, they'd ask me about certain players and certain moments. And, I mean, I, hate, I just cringe watching myself make fun of the football in the 1950s and 60s and just, like, poo-poo it. Like, I get it. They, were, they weren't as big and as bad and as fast as they are today. But you're talking about a lawless, ruleless time uh, that was survival of the fittest, and Dicka and Mackey were the two badasses 
that just gets to put the fear of God in everybody's soul. Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez. You know, I said Gronk is the greatest tight end ever, but I, I do think that Tony Gonzalez can state stake his claim as the greatest. I, I would not argue with anybody who wants to say Tony Gonzalez is the best tight end of all time, because think about where the position was when, when he breaks onto the scene. So he's playing two sports in college. He goes to Kansas city, Von Booker, Derek Thomas, all these chiefs are kind of looking at this dude thinking, why in the hell is this basketball player on the field with us? This, this Tony Gonzalez, as, as Booker said, <laughs> Tony imitated his voice. And he they all thought he was a wuss, right? Like that this, who, he didn't deserve to be on, on this field with us. This, this is survival of the fittest, man. This is a dog-eat-dog dog world. If this basketball player is going to get eat up and spat out. And Tony Gonzalez, you know, he, he forces everybody to look at the tight end position through a completely different lens where, look, yeah, he did play football in college. Let's not forget that. But he was the, – the way he caught a football was just so foreign. Now, he's plucking it atop your head – He's he's boxing out linebackers. He's cutting on a dime and wasting DBs. He's he's just doing the sort of things deep down the field that we had never seen before. And early in his career, he had the benefit of Jimmy Ray, an offensive coordinator, who understood this. So he schemed him up. He force-fed him the ball. The Chiefs stunk, but Tony Gonzalez, before everybody's eyes, was just was just doing things that nobody had really seen at tight end. And, and it was just such a matchup nightmare, a matchup problem to, to move him around the offense and, and force your hand defensively. How, what are you going to do with a guy like this? Now, what gets lost, though, and the reason I think he, he might be the greatest tight end himself, things just change when Jimmy Ray leaves and, and Dick Vermeil comes in and they bring the greatest show on turf. And we all assume that, you know, Tony Gonzalez in this offense, he must've been happy already right? put up pretty good numbers, mm-hmm. but he was not the first option. I mean, they basically told him Vermeil, Trent green, look, you're, you're not going to be featured in this offense. It's a very wide receiver friendly offense. The only problem is Eddie Kennison and Johnny Morton aren't exactly Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt. So, you know, the, it, the league still wasn't, you know, opening up their damn eyes and realizing you've got a rare specimen in Tony Gonzalez he should be your focal point. I mean, you should be feeding this dude the ball as much as humanly possible. He's still got his, right? He's still got, he still put up good numbers. He still made the Pro Bowl. He still found a way to, to force the position to evolve. And then obviously that the part of the book that I think will probably catch a lot of people by surprise is when he has a showdown with Mike Malarkey in Atlanta. Like to the extreme, <laughs> Mike Malarkey is an old school coach who, who wants his tight ends in line blocking. He's showing him clips of Mark Bruner doing it in the nineties. He wants grunners, right? He wants he wants a tight end to be in tight and blocking. And that's just not what Tony Gonzalez was great at. I mean, he could block, but that's not his game. Um, it's just it's so bizarre to me that at every turn, it, it, the league just was was so slow to get around to just maximizing and accentuating the gifts of a future hall of famer in Tony Gonzalez. Like why not just take advantage of everything he does so, so well, instead of forcing a talent like this to be somebody he's not, I mean, it was an arranged marriage in Atlanta. Malarkey didn't want Gonzalez. Gonzalez didn't want Malarkey. There's the scene in Tampa Bay where they almost go at it because Gonzalez believed Malarkey was freezing about his thousandth career catch. It was bad. It was ugly. And it just goes to show, I think it's a great lesson for all teams and all GMs today. 
Like if you've got a special talent, like don't screw around. Just just take advantage of that talent. Like you know, put your ego aside and just just let let the guy eat. Let the guy go to work. National NFL writer Tyler Dunn with us on Twitter at ty dunn. He's the founder of Go Long. Make sure you go subscribe to that at golongtd.com. But we've got him on here uh, to talk about the blood and guts, the brand new book, how tight ends save football. Uh, you can go get it all over online uh, where books are found and uh, and sold, and of course your nearby bookstore. Um, I, I've got a two-parter here, and they, they kind of connect in a way. Um, one of the things I really love about this book is that it, it's, it, it's a book that's written about a position that really nobody has written a book about before. You know, it, it's not the history of the quarterback. It's not a, the greatest game ever played with the Colts and Giants. It's not something on the Patriots dynasty. It is a, a book about a position that not a lot of people have really invested in. So wh- what made you decide the tight end to write your first book? And obviously it says the blood and guts, how tight ends save football. Well, how did they save football? Because I think those two things are kind of in connection with one another, are they not? Oh, 100%. Everything's connected when it comes to the tight end position in football, the job description. I think to answer your question, why, why the tight end? It's because I got to do everything. I mean, I, I could have written a book about offensive linemen, defensive linemen in the trenches, just kind of beating each other to a bloody pulp and that being football. And, and that's true. I mean, I think, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this, Mike. I mean, we, we, what we both love about football is, is the violence is the physicality, the sense that this isn't for everybody. I mean, these are gladiators in a profession that we just really can't wrap our brains around the fact that they go out on a practice field, beat each other up for three hours in a training camp practice and it's 90 degrees and then slip on into a cold tub or the sauna and talk about each other's family. <laughs> like it's, it's not meant for everybody, and that's okay. I know the NFL would love for them to be out there and hold each other's hands and you know, gently drop Tom Brady to the ground and give him a, a smooch on the cheek. Um, but that's just not a reality that the NFL can live in, unless they put flags in, which they might as well. So I'm thinking, all right, you know, I want to write a book. I, I want to search for the soul of this game and what can save it. Yeah, lineman. I mean, that's fun. Like that. That as long as there's blocking and tackling, I mean, they're gonna hit each other. But the tight end, you got to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you also have to make a catch on third and eight down the field with with the game on the line. Like you have to make plays late in the fourth quarter when seventy, eighty thousand screaming fans are all watching you, and the spot spotlight is on you. You know, lineman has a great game if nobody's talking about him for three hours. So. That whole dynamic of a tight end needing to do everything, um, that was appealing. And we all know about Dicka, or at least we, we thought we did. And I figured, all right, let's start there. I, I, I thought he was probably the first legit tight end, and he was. And let's just see, see who we can hang out with. Let's just travel the country, sit out with all these guys, talk about the soul of the sport. And, and yeah, there are X's and O's to this book, Mike. I mean, uh, the, the whole Kellen Winslow chapter's, you know, a lot of the, the Coriel offense and, and how Winslow was used and how the Epic in Miami really put the position on the national map. Um, it is a football book, but I feel like even if you've never watched a football game in your life, you'd enjoy it because the, these 15 tight ends, I mean, truly were uniquely qualified to, to, to keep the position and the sport alive because of what they went through. I mean, the trauma, and um, the experiences that they've had, 
Jackie Smith being defined by 5.5 seconds. I can't imagine any of us being defined by five seconds in our life. Uh, to Dallas Clark, his his mom, his mom dying in his arms. You know, his, his senior year of high school. Uh, J- Jimmy Graham growing up in a group home, fearing for his life. Um, Shannon Sharp, you know how he grew up under a tin roof and you know it's leaking through, and you know they they have absolutely nothing. Um, ben Coates, his, we we hung out at his home in in North Carolina. I mean, when he grew up, he's on top of roofs, the roofs, his, his whole his whole day, his whole night. I mean, he from, from age seven, age twenty, he's installing roofs with his dad, and uh, I, I think that that experience. Alone. When you're when you're going up and down a ladder with shingles over your shoulder and nailing in boards to, to place your foot just just so you don't fall off and kill yourself, that's going to create a certain type of tight end too. I, once we kind of dug into what these guys have been through, you can see why they shined at this position that asks you to do a little bit of everything. What do you think the future of the tight end position looks like? I think the teams want the Kittle. They want the Mark Andrews. They want the player who can block and run any route, you know, in the playbook. Um, but that, that player is hard to find. I mean, just high schools, the colleges, the pros, guys just aren't asked to block a lot of tight end anymore. I mean, it's it's evolving. That that player is, is moving all over the field. It's that Gonzalez concept to another level. I mean, look at Kyle Pitts, where – you know, he's at Florida out wide, and the other team's best cover corner is on him just to have a, any chance. So that it's it's going to that to the extreme, and I don't want to poo-poo that. You want that player. That's that's rare. I mean, it's awesome to have that player, and we're going to see more and more of that. But uh, I think what's going to be tough is, is finding that complete tight end. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I think teams still want that tight end, right? They they want to scout and scout, and if you've got a willingness to block, if that's in you, just to want to. They figure they'll they'll coach you up and they'll get, they'll get you that to that point. Um, but I, I I think that's why Kittle. Uh, is, is an all-timer in his own regard because there aren't many Kittles around anymore. What do you hope people say about the book when they're done with it? Man, that's a great question. I think, that I, I really hope that once people read The Blood and Guts, they have the same um, emotion that I did You know, when I talked to these guys. And, and after so many of these conversations, that was, holy heck, I'm going to look in the mirror and examine my own life and attack every day, you know, the same way Dallas Clark did. Maybe attack, uh, you know, a trauma the same way a Jimmy Graham did, a Jackie, a Jackie Smith. It, it just, I feel like their their lives, it, 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 
they make you want to be a better human being. I mean, that's how I, I wanted to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I, I just want to be a better brother, a better son. Um, when you just kind of see the work that these guys put in, I mean, what Dallas Clark went through at Iowa, just just to have any shot in hell at being on a football field, it, it it's it's mind blowing. And I, I think that's why, yeah, you're going to learn a lot about the tight end position and the game of football and how these are indeed gladiators that are in a profession we, we can't even wrap our minds around but i think the more you learn about about these individuals on a very individual level and what they've been through we can all relate to it the tight end position is unbelievably relatable to our own lives and our own professions and and, and i think it just makes us want to be better people I have two quick hitters that I want to uh, really hit you on uh, around the NFL, but but before I do that, you you just brought up you know being a better person and and you know through these guys, father son brother the whole thing, which leads me to this: How in the world does Tyler Dunn have time to write a book as good as this with two kids? You're married. Life's crazy. You're running go long. You're booking guests left and right. You're doing happy hours with people. You got the Isaiah McKenzie show. I mean, is it literally up at 3 a.m. all the time? You're traveling like crazy. How how did you get this thing done? How did you do this? <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, it's seriously, because I only have one kid, and I have my toddler most days during the week. And honestly, like 10 minutes is basically two hours of time now you know, and, and vice versa. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing how, how it goes. You don't, you don't really have a lot of time to do anything, you know, and, and you settle in in the afternoon, maybe you get a couple hours of work done. So you think they wake up earlier or they don't yeah. nap at all. I mean, how are you doing? How did you do this? A book? This is a big deal. It's a team effort, man. I mean, more than anything, I'm just so blessed to have the wife I do. I mean, Gina is unbelievable. And, you know, we had I mean, Ella, our daughter turns three here in a couple weeks yeah. sunny was born you know right around the time i signed the book deal in late july hmm. so you know we welcome our second child into the world training camp start i'm running go long <laughs> podcast the isaiah show i think I, mean, I did some new york times freelancing on the sundays oh, and and i was traveling the country trying to get to know these tight ends and i mean yeah it's i it, it, it was it, she was unbelievable gene i mean for her to kind of be, be there with the kids when I couldn't be in and any second I wasn't working, I'm with the kids myself. Sure. Um, and it's just, you just do it. I think any, any parent would tell you that, right. You just, you don't even think about, um, the windows of time and like, I, I'm going to do this then and that then. And we'll, we'll figure, I mean, you, you, you got to plan out your lives, but you, it's more surviving advance. It's more <laughs> March madness. It really and is. You're the, you know, the plucky yeah. 15th seat trying to <laughs> knock out uh, the number two and just keep going. I mean, yeah. that's what it was. And, um, you know, deadlines help, you know, I, I, I definitely was able to work. I could kind of write around. So like I saw Ben Coates and Tony Gonzalez early on. So those were some of the early chapters I wrote. And then Dicka, and I, it just, I was able to kind of reverse engineer at times. And I still recommend people read the book start, start to finish, because as you, as you saw, Mike, a lot of it does intertwine. There is a narrative to follow. Mm -hmm. um, but if you just want to go read Jeremy Shockey, by all means, just jump into that chapter. You can, you can jump around too. So that helped like the format of the book definitely helped with the timing. But yeah, I mean, I, I had the manuscript in, the first week of April and then the editing process from there, things happened 
really, really fast. Um, at, at the same time, though, like, you just find a way. I mean, I, I probably transcribed early on. You know, that's the thing. I mean, the transcribing of interviews is what eats up oh. a lot of time. I don't know how many words it finished at. It might have been five, six hundred thousand. Uh, man, I talked to close to a hundred people, but I, and I'm just kind of a freak with the way I do the job. I, I have to transcribe every single word, print it out, you know, use different colored highlighters, see how things interconnect and map out a story that way. Um, so I, I would, I ended up uh, kind of getting on a schedule where I'd wake up at like three, three thirty, and that that was a, such a perfect window of time when, yeah, the kids are getting up at maybe five, five thirty. But the morning is a groggy period, right? I mean, they're eating breakfast. They're kind of getting to the day. Sonny's taking that morning nap. <laughs> Ella's getting into her lunch nap. And so, yeah, from about like 3.30 to noonish, I, I could get a lot done um, and still have time to get to go along stuff. So, wow. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of – you just kind of survive. You do it, and you're blessed. I mean, I, our kids are our whole world, and it was I, – I, it was great to still do everything right here under the, under the house. Right. I'm not going to an office. I'm, I'm here. So that, that was really the blessing of it to still be involved and, um, you know, raise these kids and then have a great wife. It's, it was crazy, but we wouldn't want it any other way, honestly. All right. Two quick hitters, Alan Mahomes, this thing that we've got going on with these two quarterbacks, these two teams, I know the bills have to beat the chiefs when it really, really matters. But this past win, really matter because of, you know, playoff positioning, the home field advantage, all that stuff. But Allen Mahomes, Mahomes Allen, I mean, Tyler, where does this compare to all the other things that you've lived through in the NFL? I mean, Brady Manning, um, I'm 42. I got you by by a few years, but, you know, I, I, I go back to Lawrence Taylor. I go back, you know, to, to the 90s Bills and Bruce Smith and uh, just a menace, right? Reggie White, uh, the, the transformation of the sport from Deion Sanders, uh, the evolution of the tight end that we've been talking about, all these different things in the NFL. Is this as good as anything we've ever seen, Alan Mahomes? I feel like the way the game is set up today, I, I can't I can't take that leap because it's just okay. it's conducive to fireworks and shootouts. Right. And it plays to them. I get it. The yeah. 13 second game was amazing. Like that's an all-time yep. playoff mm-hmm. game. But it was a little too easy on offense for both teams. Yeah, yeah. Like these quarterbacks, you can't touch them. I mean, compared to the '90s, so I'll still take all those matchups from the '90s. I, to me, that was the golden age. Uh, but it's it's damn good, and I I tended to even like this this game Sunday more than the playoff game, just in terms of the product, because there was a lot of defense being played. I mean, nothing was coming easy for either quarterback, either offense. I mean, they had they had to earn it. You could. You could just see both teams kind of grinding it out four quarters, and you still had the, the type of athletic plays from both quarterbacks and you know receivers and running backs on both teams that, that you want to see. But it, it was it was hard. It was harder. I felt like you know what I mean. Like twenty four twenty, give me that game over forty hmm. something to thirty something any day of the week. Um, and they're gonna be, they're gonna be facing off, right? I mean, they're gonna, this every is, year this isn't going away. Every year, every year they're gonna yep. go at it. So. Yep. I'm with, it's 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 absolutely right up there, and I think the backdrop of um, the Buffalo Bills and owner Terry Pagula really falling in love with Patrick Mahomes, Pagula that is, and wanting him before anybody had an inkling that he he was going to be any good, and putting the trust in Sean McDermott and his process and waiting. Like, if you're going to pass on Patrick Mahomes, I mean, what a consolation prize! Mm. And Josh Allen one year later, it's, it's remarkable. 
And I think that's going to be going through Terry's head and every time he watches his matchup. Like, what could have been, yet still what is. And you can make the case right now that the Bills are better off with Josh. No, he's got to do it in the playoffs. They've been eliminated by the Chiefs two years in a row. I'm, I'm not going to go there yet. I, I still think Mahomes is the best player on the planet because he's done it, you know, when it really matters. Um, but holy cow, I mean, Josh Allen and what he can do, what he to, to the quarterback position is, we haven't seen that before. We haven't seen somebody like Josh Allen before, QB. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, how much trouble are they in here in the last maybe minute and a half that I have with you, Tyler? Tons. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is, it's uh, <laughs> terrible. You know, you're paying him 150 mil guaranteed. You you bent over to acquiesce and give him anything and everything he wants, which I get. I mean, it's hard to find a Hall of Fame quarterback, so I get you have it. And even as that guy gets older, you're just going to do everything in your power to cling and clutch and beg him to stay. Uh, but this is all coming back to bite him. Uh, his you're seeing why Green Bay drafted quarterback in the first round i mean this is what they feared uh just the inevitable decline physically athletically he just can't make the throws he did i mean we can we can sit here and blame the weapons around him all we want Uh, you pay a quarterback that much money to elevate the players around you he is unable to do that and uh he's just missing throws i mean the throw to aaron jones up the right sideline that could have been a 50 60 yarder just missed him um threw a pick six that was not a pick six only because the, his pass was bad enough to hit the ground just enough. He's just not the same player. And the defense isn't elite enough to carry him in a way the Denver Broncos did Peyton Manning in 2015, the way the Saints did in 2020, Drew Brees. That team could have won it all easily. They didn't blow in the playoffs. So I don't know. At least right now, it doesn't seem that. That's where I was wrong. I thought the defense was going to be a lot better than what we've seen. They're not bad, but they're not elite. And they, Aaron Rodgers just isn't willing, I guess, to hand the ball off to Aaron Jones more than nine times in a game. So um, you add it all up, and you've got a very ordinary, average 3-3 three and three team, to put it kindly. Let me sneak one more in that I, I wanted to make sure that I asked you because of the book. Um, in, in a minute or so, or you know, under two or whatever, however long you want to take, Dawson Knox for the Bills. I mean, this guy's potential. They just gave him the deal, right? And he is a guy who wants to play every single down in terms of the all-around tight end position. He he obviously had the game-winning touchdown. Allen sought him out. He came. He ran the perfect route. Um, Dawson Knox, you know, hey, blood and guts here, right? I mean, he is blood and guts. The Bills are so high on him. What are you so excited about when you watch Dawson Knox and see where he could go potentially here for the Bills? Great to see him as a recipient of the game-winning touchdown as first of the year. I feel like Man, he's probably been through more than we can even wrap our minds oh. around with everything that happened with his brother. And I just feel like off the field, it's, you know, down the road, there'll be some type of chapter written about Dawson Knox that's pretty similar to the ones people read in the Blood and Guts, where he, I'm sure he's been through so dang much that we can't even wrap our minds around. I mean, after he scored the touchdown, I mean, you saw his reaction. He looks up into the sky and it gives you chills. So ho- hopefully he's worked through that mentally, as tough as that was. Because his game itself is, yeah, I think he's a complete tight end. Um, the quarterback background definitely helps. The willingness to block, and he learned how to block in college, that helps. He's on the same page as Josh Allen. I mean, you can see Allen trusts him mid-play. I mean, he's just kind yeah. of, you know, a maestro, a quarterback directing traffic, and Knox is right there with him. Uh, that That's that's rare, and that's the kind of stuff you hear about, whether it's Manning Clark, whether it's Elway Sharp, whether it's 
you know, Brady Gronk, that, that, that matters that, that relationship, they're really, really tight. So yeah, the future is bright for Dawson Knox. And oh, one other thing, and just to bring it back to the book too, you know, the Ozzie Newsom chapter, it, it, the way, the way he would look a ball in and use his, his eyes, right? Like he never mm-hmm. dropped any balls because of his eyes. We get so caught up in everything else. Now, Dawson Knox, you know, he, he actually went to eye training last year, right? Like he, he went above and beyond to master exactly what Ozzie Newsome was so, so good at. We, you know, we, we, we tend to think, Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's your hands. It's your, like, no, that ability to look a football in there's, there's an art to that. That's a craft within itself. And I think Dawson Knox figured that out a year ago and it's, it's taken his game to a different level. Former Colts tight end Dallas Clark says, just like every great quarterback needs a great tight end, every fan of the game needs this book. And I would agree wholeheartedly. Stories that span the history of the game, and Tyler does an incredible job bringing it to life. It is called The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football by the co-founder and uh, writer for uh, Go Long. Go get your subscription with Go Long as well at golongtd.com. Follow Tyler Dunn on Twitter at TYDunn and go get this book, The Blood and Guts, online where books are sold, and your nearby bookstores. Tyler Dunn, nobody's covering the NFL like you, my man. Long form, you've got your own platform, you created it yourself, you're working your tail off, you're getting subscribers, and now you're an author of one of the best books I've ever read. Congratulations and thanks for coming on, man. It really means a lot. Unbelievably kind of you to say that, Mike. Holy cow, that that means so much. And I, I honestly cannot thank everybody out there enough for I mean, it's the investment of, of money, right? I mean, to, to, to pay for a subscription and to pay for a book, but it's the investment of time to sit down and, and spend hours um, reading a book. I, I don't take that lightly, and I wanted to make sure chapter to chapter, player to player, story to story, it's, it's worth your time. So everybody out there, thank you so much for adding this to your library. Absolutely amazing conversation with Tyler Dunn, the author of The Blood and Guts and Go Long founder. Uh, I wanted to just wrap the podcast here on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. It's a pandemonium podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review the platform and follow us all over the social channels, including YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Uh, We're doing seven days of content, uh, builtinbuffalonews.com, audio, video, articles, boom, 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 uh, covering the bills seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, I just wanted to, to recap quickly the Bills and Chiefs game, which was you know, it was another thriller, uh, kind of in its own way. We did have some, um, you know, memories of the 13 seconds at the end of the first half where the Chiefs kind of were given the field and they went down and, you know, Bucker hits a 62-yard field goal. They tie the game, um, you know, but the Bills showed a lot of championship moxie in this game. I know that they have to do it when it really, really matters, whether that's the Chiefs or someone else, to get to the pinnacle, to get to the stage that they're expected to get to this year um, and, and maybe even beyond. Um, but it's so hard in the NFL. Everything's so unpredictable. The Chiefs have been in their way. They might still be in their way again. I do know that that is down the line, but you can't get to that point until you win a game like this, until you play the regular season and position yourself for the postseason. And the Buffalo Bills went into Kansas City, and the Buffalo Bills uh, really, uh, I I thought, did an unbelievable job from coaching and game management to their superstar players. This was a superstar game for the Buffalo Bills and their top three superstars, starting with, I'm not going to even mention the quarterback first. I'm going to talk about Von Miller. Von Miller had four total tackles. All of them were solo. He had two sacks. He rushed uh, Patrick Mahomes like crazy. Uh, If if you watch the play that sealed the deal, 
Leslie Frazier was going to a three-man rush. He changed it from four to three, and and he used Matt Milano sort of as a spy. And Von Miller on that play was rushing like crazy towards Patrick Mahomes, forces him to make an errant throw, picked off by Taron Johnson. Yeah, Taron Johnson has a knack for that, right? Remember his pick against the Ravens in the playoffs a couple years back. But, you know, Von Miller caused a lot of that. He caused Mahomes to throw it where he did. There were several others that Von Miller uh, was was all over, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and in the pocket. And he's almost, even when he's not there, He's almost there, you know. He's just the, he's just so close, even when he doesn't get a sack. And he was the ultimate difference in this football game. Clearly on the offensive side, Josh Allen, he is remarkable. And right now, I think he's the 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 the, the really the the lead dog for the MVP. Now we have another what eleven games to go. But this guy went into Arrowhead 27 of 40, 329 yards and three touchdowns. He had multiple drops again. Isaiah McKenzie caught a sure touchdown. Uh, They called an option play on the first drive to McKenzie, which made no sense to me. Um, They were humming. They were rolling. Devin Singletary was running it great. Allen was spreading it around. Made no sense to me. Um, You know, they didn't call a play like that again, so I guess they kind of learned from it. Um, But Allen was simply spectacular in 117.6 rating and an uh, 60.4 QBR is remarkable. And then Stephon Diggs is the third superstar. 10 catches, 148 yards, and a touchdown. I think you could make an argument right now that Stephon Diggs is the number one receiver in the NFL. So the Bills went in. They did what they had to do. This was a game with with haymakers thrown back and forth. No score in the first quarter. 10-10 at halftime. Uh, 17-17 at the end of the third quarter. You wondered, you know, who was going to make the other team break, so to speak, right? And, you know, after it was 17-17, the Chiefs get that field goal. uh, And and in classic Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills form, when they need a big drive, they get the big drive. Dawson Knox, 14-yard pass from Josh Allen. He sought him out. He threw it literally in 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 a couple of different windows that you you can't even imagine when you see the play develop and Dawson Knox ran uh you know up and out to the left while the safety bit in uh to double up Diggs and of course Justin Reed was on Knox and Knox made the catch 12 plays 76 yards 4 minutes and 27 seconds 24-20 Buffalo they end up holding it uh, they get the interception from Taron Johnson with just great schemes from Leslie Frazier and great play from the guys who were rushing, led by Von Miller. Uh, Josh Allen hurtling people in this game again, right? Um, and, and just so many different things that, that, that happened in this game uh, between two great teams, two great quarterbacks. Uh, this is why we watch the NFL uh, Chiefs, Bills, Bills, Chiefs. This thing for years to come is set up to give us the A number one entertainment uh, in the entire league. And it was just really, really, really a great win for the Bills as they head into the bye week, of course, and possibly getting Trey White back in week eight. And they'll welcome the Green Bay Packers, a team that's horrendous. I brought them into the conversation with Tyler Dunn for a reason because the Bills will be preparing for them the next two weeks. So it was good to get Tyler's, uh, you know, uh, thoughts on on the Packers and, and where they go from here. But uh, this win was was tremendous. The Bills, 
uh, going into Arrowhead. They've shown that they can win at Arrowhead. Um, you know, back-to-back regular seasons now. Again, got to do it in the postseason. Maybe this postseason they can do it, but it's an Orchard Park. Um, but the Bills, man, they they really put themselves in great position, especially with the schedule coming up with a lot of softies. They got the, you know, not the Jets anymore as a softie, right? But you got Lions, you got the Bears. You got a lot of winnable games there. You got some home games coming up. The Bills have been traveling a bunch in the beginning of the year. I mean, they had to go at the Rams. They had to go at Baltimore. They had to go at Miami. They had to go at Kansas City. Now the home games start coming in, man. Packers, Vikings, Browns, those type of games are at home. You get two with uh, the Jets. Those should still be winnable games. Um, you know, where the Bills are favored heavily because they have Josh Allen and the other team doesn't. Um, so we'll see what happens here. But this victory set them up for, you know, the the, the, the marathon that is the NFL season and getting home field advantage. And uh, it was just a terrific game and a terrific win. Mike Lindsley with you here. It's a Pandemonium podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, download, rate, and review, and get us on all the social platforms. Built in Buffalo. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Get us on Twitter at Built in Buffalo underscore Facebook, Instagram. We're everywhere. Built in Buffalo News.com for your content as well. Seven days a week, audio, video, articles, you name it, we're doing it. Covering the Buffalo Bills. 365 days a year, and now in the meat of the season. It is fun times right now to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Thank you so much again for listening. Thanks so much to Tyler Dunn. Go get his book, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football, major bookstores, and online where books are sold. I'm Mike Lindsley. I'm on Twitter, at Mike L Sports. And hey, as I always tell you, enjoy the games. Enjoy the games.